the 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. As I mentioned, we are away on Monday for Martin Luther King, but we'll have a best of Dave. We'll come back on Tuesday. We're going to sit down with the uh, general manager of the Slow County Airport and find out how things are going out there. On uh, Wednesday, we have uh, local neurosurgeon Dr. Phil Kissel back on this broadcast. Stay with us throughout the week, the Dave Congleton Show, hometown radio for the Central Coast. In about an hour, we're in conversation with the mayor of San Luis, the Honorable Erica Stewart will join us. Look who's here in the studio. It's the one, the only, Annie Lorenzo. Annie, how are you? I'm a good day. Better for seeing you. That's very kind of you. Um, I'm reminded of the famous quote by F. Scott Fitzgerald, there are no second acts in American life. You've proved that wrong. I have proved that wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a feeling many people are out there. I've never understood why Fitzgerald said that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. It's... I have uh, unless, no clue. My theory is because he was such a successful novelist, but he came to Hollywood in the 1930s and he fell on his face. Although mostly he fell on his face because he was an alcoholic. Yes. All right. So I have a feeling the context is he was trying to make it as a Hollywood screenwriter and he didn't. And so he rationalized it by saying there are no second acts in American life. This is wrong. There are, there are so many. You picked this topic. Explain. Well, I picked it in the context of here's this 50-year-old person who had been born, literally born in Los Angeles, raised in L.A. and L.A. County. Meaning you. Meaning myself. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, 1990, moved out of California, took a 15-year-old kid and a cat with her and moved to the East Coast, the, the East Coast being the greater metro D.C. area. So what were you doing for a living prior to coming back to San uh, benefit plans, insurance, health insurance. Okay. I mean, excuse me, employee benefits, mostly health insurance for mm -hmm. employers to do that. And I, it was years of, um, you know, I worked for Prudential and Northwestern Mutual and I had sold life insurance and those kind of plans first and then segued into employee benefits and mm -hmm. especially health insurance. So when I got back to D.C., that's what I, uh, D.C. area, that's what I was doing. We lived... What, so why'd you go all the way out to Washington, D.C.? Because the company, well, this was a no-brainer. The company that I was working for, I'd been living in Bakersfield for seven years, need I say more, mm. um, in the uh, early to mid-80s, and or excuse me, early 80s through 90. And um, I, I couldn't take another, that summer that I left, it was 100, and it reached 120, and it was 110 for like days on end. And this company I worked for, selling these employee benefit health insurance plans, had offices on the East Coast in uh, Virginia, Maryland, D.C. So I took a promotion and thought this will be better for me and my kids. It'll make me more money, and I'd never live back there. Part of why I went was a geographic. A sad divorce had occurred, and it, you know things had just happened. And it, I'm going to take this job on the East Coast. I packed up one of my kids and his cat, and off we went. So I was there for seven and a half years. And then you came back. 
And then I came back because when I turned 50 in January um, of 97, I said, I've been here seven plus years. Nobody from my family has moved out here. Barely anybody has come out to visit me. They're not coming. And it did matter to a lot of members of my family that I was so far away. So I said, okay, time to go. So I put things into motion and I said to myself, where do you want to live? You grew up in Los Angeles and Altadena, San Gabriel Valley. You lived in Bakersfield, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, I want to go somewhere that's close to the beach because I can't afford to live at the beach. So I want somewhere close to the beach. I'd like a university town because there's a lot going on. Um, Someone that's safe for old people to walk around late at night. You're 50. Yeah, I know, but I'm thinking, right, <laughs> okay. down the all road. Right. And then finally, the big one was, where will I never lack for visitors because people love to visit? Yeah. Had you had any prior connection with San Luis? Yeah, it was in my sales territory when oh. I worked in Bakersfield. Okay. And I dreamed, as did my kids, oh, gosh, why can't we move there now, Mom? Well, I couldn't. Stacia went to her. My daughter went to her first year of college at Cuesta. Um, and so I just, it was time to, to leave and then come back. So that's what I did. And so you came back and you set up your second act. I, you know what it ended up? Yes. And I, and I remember at the time, I wasn't thinking that way. I was just thinking I need to go back, be closer to the family. San Luis is a beautiful area. Frank Sheehan was, is, was my landlord, and it just so happened he had, as his administrative assistant said, Annie, his best property's coming up for rent. <laughs> and, and it was true. It was yeah. downtown corner of Choro and Pismo, this two-bedroom flat that was awesome. So I came out in March of 97, and um, to, to see it, I was still working back east. So I came out to see it, and they took me in, and I stood up there, and I go, oh, dear Lord, this is fabulous. Um, and I thought, okay, I would really like to do this. And God bless him, love him, hug him, kiss him. I went to Frank, and I said, how much of a deposit do I need to make? Because that's prime property, right? And Frank said, Annie, because he was a former client, yeah. Annie, you don't need to pay a deposit. What did he charge you for rent in 1997? I can't remember, to be honest. It must have been, I think it was around six. Six hundred. Six something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, can you believe it? And when I left in 2017, no, let me think, 20, 2016, 2017, when I left, I was paying 11 um, after all those years. I was only paying 1100 and when I left the apartment, he re-rented it for 1450 and it's gone up ever since, of course. Oh, I'm sure it has. But, you know, miracle of miracles, I get a prime apartment with no deposit, saved my money till I got here. So when I got here, I had a place to live. I didn't have a job. Annie Lorenzen on this broadcast, <laughs> reinventing herself. So what would you call your second act? Educator? Yeah, I guess I, so. I stumped her. I guess so. Because even the ministry job, it was a form of education. So I yeah. would have to say yes. Um, the hilarious headmistress just loved to be in front of people and loved to teach things. Yeah, an educator in and out of the classroom. Yes. So, And you've had that second act now for 26 years? I would say I retired from everything totally in 2017. Yeah, but you're still educating. Oh, yes. And what I'm trying to do, that is true. Yeah. Yes. So you're and still educating. And I would educating. like to make the world a better place for me having been in it 
and helping other people kind of do the same thing. Do you wish you had gone into education earlier? Do you regret the first chapter of your life? No, because it was too colorful, and it actually provided me with what I would need to take on middle school and high school students and their families um, in a community. It just, my life experiences, as speckled as that all was, that past, really made me much better at doing my job. I had a very good reputation within those communities for teaching things that were technically hard to teach or to translate into everybody's daily lives was considered a tough a tough act and that's what I could do really well and that's what I love to do meanwhile people know my story I was a college guy for about 10 years teaching in the classroom never particularly happy and I came out to California in 1987, and I basically reinvented myself as a local media guy. Mm-hmm. I've done newspaper work and radio work and writing. And um, do I wish I had done that sooner? Part of me does. But at the same time, I had some interesting times, too, in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm just I'm grateful that I got out when I did. I'm grateful that I had the courage to reinvent myself. Did you did you wonder any oh maybe I should just stay in DC and stay in, in the insurance business? Do I wonder if I should have? Yeah. Oh under no circumstances. Right. I became So you were ready to reinvent yourself. Well I see again, I was escaping to get back closer to the family. Mm-hmm. I wasn't looking at it like that. You would think at fifty maybe that would have crossed my mind, but it didn't. It wasn't a reinvention. It was a way to get back, put down some real roots and reconnect with my family across the board. But landing here was such a gift. Even my first job in the ministry, if if I can tell the story, it's unbelievable. Um, I had been working through a staffing company here, working part-time down on Suburban Road for a big company that did sand and gravel. And it was part-time. And it was nightmare work, absolute nightmare work, because... I was doing Teamster payroll for five locations, and I was having a really hard time doing it. So I have nightmares about the Teamsters coming after me. So I'm walking down Choro one day, and I walk by the mission, and I walked into the mission office, and I said, I'm new in town. I'm working part-time. I'm looking for a permanent job. I have done some work with two parishes back on the East Coast. Uh, working with families and kids getting ready for their sacraments. And they said, wait a minute, we'll have you talk to the pastoral associate who is this secular person in charge in a parish. And out comes this tall, redheaded guy and um, introduces himself. And I said, Kevin Drabinsky? I went to school with Mary Drabinsky. And he looked in Sierra Madre, California, mind you, high school. And he goes, are you another Alverno girl? Because Alverno Heights Academy was this little tiny school in Sierra Madre, California. And I said, yes, I am. And he rolls his eyes. So we sit down and talk. Long story short, I end up being the youth minister for Mission and Nativity Parishes for their junior high and high school youth ministry. He called his sister and she said, Mary Drabinsky said, oh, she's great. She was our student body president. Now, all those years had passed. She had no idea. 
How Wait a minute. You were student body president? Student body president. Annie Lorenzen, student body president. Yeah, but of a really? little teeny, teeny, teeny girl's Doesn't high school. Doesn't matter. Yeah, and Kiss and Sierra Madre is where we used to go to the cemetery as a dark kind of date because the cemetery in Sierra Madre is where they filmed the invasion of the body snatchers. It gets better. The original? Yes, the original. Annie Lorenzen on this broadcast talking about reinventing herself and creating a second act. We'll pick up the conversation straight ahead right here on Hometown Radio. Again, I cannot go into details, uh, but you're going to have to take, take my word on this. Monday, best of Dave, but you want to be listening Tuesday. You want to be listening to Scott and Andy. You want to be listening to this show because we've got some incredible giveaways we're going to be doing all next week. It's Hometown Radio, and it's Annie Lorenzen reinventing herself. Um, I'm originally from the East Coast. But when I grew up in the Midwest, I could have gone east, back to my roots, or I could have come west. And I chose to come west, Annie, as did most of my family, well, actually all of my family, because I believe that it's easier to come west, that when you're on the east coast, everybody traces themselves back to the the Mayflower, you know, <laughs> yeah. whereas out Jamestown, here in yeah. California, nobody cares. Right. I mean, look at your success. Look at my success. I don't think I could have gone east and achieved out there what I've achieved here. There's there is there every day. And you know how I am in this respect. Every day I am so grateful for having landed here. Who knew that you and I would be longtime friends and how many times I've been on this show? I can't even count. And it's made such a difference in my life. Because you knew people that ended up calling me up, like Ree Kelly at Cuesta College at your your suggestion, yeah. and said, hey, we really need something different in the College for Kids curriculum. Could you teach a, teach a course on Harry Potter? And here I was, one of the biggest old Potter heads ever, in total sync with that series, and it was still new then. That ends up later... Here for, and then for 20 more years, College for Kids, 20 summers in a row, I taught Harry Potter class, a class about <clears throat> Tolkien um, and C.S. Lewis because of the Potter class. Then I taught an Argument 101 class, how to argue with your parents out there. And then somebody from San Luis Obispo Classical Academy looks at that catalog, calls me up and says... Can you teach logic and rhetoric to middle school? Can you take your curriculum and make this into a middle school curriculum? I said, I would love to do that. On the, Only here, Dave. On the Stolberg text line, the topic that Annie is talking about is the story of most of us who relocated to Slow County without having grown up here or had any local connections. We didn't have any inns here. Somehow, some way, connections happened, and we found a way to live and thrive here in the county. It's absolutely true. And in my case, I see evidence all along the line of somebody else, some other wonderfulness actually orchestrating this all because of where I ended up and what I've ended up doing. And between the community itself, downtown, living downtown, I'd never lived downtown in my whole life. I'd only been a suburban person, suburbs person. So that was one thing. Then, oh, then to have this relationship that we're sitting in across from one another, 
that has led to so many other different places that con- continued to unfold, it just makes me realize I was meant to come here out of the clear blue like that to just up and make that decision. Probably not surprising that a 50-year-old person looks at her life or his life. Are you says, saying you were called here? I am. I'm sure I was, okay. yeah. Be- between living in Bakersfield and wishing I could live here, yes, I do. I actually think I was. I, I, I have bad news for you. That was me calling you. Yes, there you go. You can claim it, Dave. You have had so much of an influence on everybody. And and so to be able to just kind of round out this week with you 32 years later um, and knowing I've been part of it for 26 years, 27. You've been a major part of it. And it's it's just, it has really molded me into somebody I even like occasionally. Everybody likes you. I've become somebody. Yeah, but it's a big deal when you finally really like yourself and and you give yourself a break from all the other stuff that, you know, created things where you thought you had to move every seven years and do all those things. But to be here and part of this community and and just to be able to do this. I've been uh, I've moved everywhere. Every three years I moved. Oh, you beat me. Tulsa was one year. Wow. But the, uh, every place before that, three was my magic number. How many times did you do that? Uh, Minnesota, Utah, and Indiana, all for three years. One year in Oklahoma. One year in Oklahoma is enough to make someone move anywhere. <laughs> it really is. They call it the OK State, but uh, <laughs> Tulsa is well. a, a great town. But outside of Tulsa, eh, not so much. I'm, we moved a lot, even especially. I didn't move as a child, but I've been here times. since 1987. Yeah, you'd be. And I'm trying to figure out a way that I can stay. Yes, because yeah. I don't want to live anywhere else. I don't either. Not at my stage in life. You know, it's it's one of those things where I look around every day when I'm driving, and I go, I don't care. I I I, I want to end my life here. I, I, that came yeah. out wrong. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. I'd like. I'd Call two one one. Yeah, I'd like it to be. I'd like to know that it would be that I get to round out the rest chapter, rest the next chapter. Is there a third chapter for Annie Lorenzen? Um, right now, yeah, there really is. Um, with the writing of this book, and we, I'm not going to talk about that today because it's been going on for so long, and I got in the way of it getting done for so long. But to be able to, you know, I made a final decision. I want this to be my last county that I live in. I would love to be here. And I especially have decided that I would love to be in slow um, to to round it all out. And, and I'm very happy and blessed and graced that both of my sons are going to live out their lives here. My daughter has moved with my grandson, um, but Garrett and Ethan are going to stay. So it's... You know, that, that's helpful when you have family as well. You know, I have nieces and nephews in the area too. But i got to go and get me some family. I don't have any family. You here. can borrow some of them. You can borrow me anytime. We're kind of like a brother <laughs> and sister anyway. I think we are. Don't you? So you're in a good space? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay now because I'm seeing my way out of, and I'll be very frank, one of the parts of this chapter mm-hmm. has been a real battle with clinical depression oh, and hold uh, that thought all the things well, we got news that. and traffic and yeah. weather oh annie <laughs> talking about reinventing yourself we're live we're local we're hometown
Good to be with you on this Friday afternoon. The mayor is on her way. Erica Stewart will be joining us during the 5 o'clock hour. We'll give you a chance to call in, ask questions. We'll talk about what's happening in the city. This hour, we are back with our dear friend Annie Lorenzen, actually in studio, because <laughs> she wants to talk about reinventing yourself and second acts in American life and how she found her second act right here in San Luis Obispo. But before the break, you were talking about, dep- you're, okay, you're okay? Do I need to worry about you? No, you don't have to worry about me. No. Okay. I, it, it's, you know, that would be another show for another time and yes. season. Yes. But getting through uh, a really horrible couple-year episode of that is, has created the uh, platform for me to go on to the third act. We'll say that. Um, and I also would like to say that, you know, I pulled that first geographic in 1990 when I moved from Bakersfield with one of my children and his cat out to the East Coast. I knew nobody there. We had no family there. We had shirttail relative. We did have relatives in Pennsylvania. And what was it like, though? In- it was the that ended up as hard as that was at the beginning only because, you know, we didn't know anybody and it was a new job and on and on and on. But it was so wonderful, the adventures that we ended up having, Ethan and I. And Garrett came out for a little while. And my daughter came out and ended up staying there longer than I lived there. When I left in 97, she stayed for several more years. So um, so you liked it. People were nice. Oh, Dave. And here's another example. If And this is something for people to... I want people to hear this because here I was... I had a 15-year-old boy in tow. I had a new job with the same company, different job. Um, East Coast, nobody had ever lived there before in our family or anything. And here I land in Metro D.C. area in uh, outs- outside Maryland and outside Virginia, Virginia, outside D.C. I ended up, by the time I left, I had made tremendous friends out of the clear blue. I had made tremendous friends with people at the British Embassy, the Canadian Embassy, um, the French embassy, and especially the Australian embassy. By the time I left, I had been a part of some of the most amazing things that were happening at those embassies. And the only way I got in there was because bringing my life insurance and, and health insurance experience to the front, I had no clients, so I had to go out and get clients. So I went into the Washingtonian Magazine, which is a big glossy magazine and I started reading articles about interesting people and I literally called cold called Kathleen Kennedy the former head of some embassy in out of Brazil blah 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 the first woman to graduate from another woman the first woman to graduate from West Point they sounded interesting so I called them up and I said I'm new in town I'm selling insurance I do not I'm not coming to sell anything but I would love to get to meet you because I know you know people. And how'd that work? It was tremendous. It worked fabulous. Kathleen Kennedy was just, all I can still remember, she walked and ran a lot. So here comes this little gal with these calves to die for. She goes, Lorenzen, where's Lorenzen? She comes out and we end up chatting and she ends up referring me to some young people in her office. You know, the the lady at the British Embassy that I met was very engrossed in the in the embassy there and introduced me to other people. And from there, one of the gals ended up being the cultural affairs officer. She transferred over to the Australian embassy. I was there when they first brought Australian wines. I was at the event where the Australian wines were first introduced to the United States. There was a, a movie, and I can't, now I'm going to lose it. I forget who the actor was. Anyway, there was this big event. 
Melbourne Day, all the stuff, all the stuff that goes on at the British Embassy. And here I am trotting around, living and talking to these people, and I learned so much just because I called somebody that I never knew anything about out of Washingtonian Magazine on a cold call. And I just think the lesson there is, for me, two things. One, man, I had a lot of courage, and I didn't even know how much courage that took, and I'm trying to resurrect her for myself. And the other thing is anybody can ask somebody, can you help me get to know other people? But didn't it take courage to come to San Luis? Then then to come back, come the other way. Not as much. The, what took courage, yes, was I was coming without a job. I had no job waiting, no sense of a job. So I had somewhere to live but no job. And I thought, oh, boy, this is this is iffy. But the idea of being here was a dream come true. So it wasn't didn't take as much courage. I think what took courage was to kind of pull that girl again and say, just meet everybody you can and see what falls in line. And then what happens is these strange serendipitous things like Kevin Drabinsky and his sister Mary and my high school right in the middle of San Luis. Student body president. Isn't that hilarious? I never knew that about you. Yeah, I was student body. I started out freshman as a class rep. Student student council secretary and sophomore year. Junior year, I was sergeant at arms. See, that's what happened. Between sophomore and junior year, they gave me a microphone because I would lead student assemblies. And so I got really... I've never looked back since they handed me a microphone. So after junior natural, year, natural. I ran for student body president. Yeah, and I won. So who knew, right? So my junior year, they're having... Um campaigns for the senior class, senior class president, vice president. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to run for president. There's no way I can win, but I'll, I'll run for vice president. So I took out the petition. I don't know, 25 signatures uh, handed in. I don't hear anything back. We have an assembly one morning on stage. Here are your candidates for president and vice president and uh, senior class representatives. And I went into the office afterwards. I was like, what happened? Oh, we forgot. We forgot about you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we, oh, that's a great story. We, we didn't put your name on the ballot. We, we forgot about you. Oh, my gosh. What a great story. <laughs> and you're the student body president. Yeah, and you know, there's a there's a cautionary tale there, too. I was the homeliest kid. I uh, Seriously, was the homeliest child in grade that. school. I'll I show you the. That. I have a picture. Okay. Um, the homeliest child in grade school went to this girl's high school because <clears throat> my grandma was wanted to pay the tuition, so I go to a Catholic girl's high school. And um, pretty brand new. It had only been around, by the time I went in, it was only the second year of the school. So I go into that school, and I have people that I've known through seven years of grade school, but I'm not best friends with any of them and I never turned into a best friend, and I would be willing to bet that by the time I ran for student body president as a senior, I would be willing to bet that many of those girls who'd known me in grade school didn't vote for me. But you still won. I won because there was a popular vote, right? The whole school got to vote, and I'd made a lot of friends outside of that circle. Now, listen, in all fairness to anybody who didn't vote for me, I was a very awkward child. Who were you running against? Oh, Who, I can't, who'd you beat? I can't remember. Okay. But I had two of the most popular girls in that class, in my class, were my campaign managers, and they did a great job. How big was your class? 115. Uh, that was the class. Mine was 850. 
Yeah, wow. No wonder you got left off the ballot. They could forget there were so many numbers. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah. So anyway, there there was that. Um, you know, this. just say yes to things and or go with the wildest idea you ever get because the wildest idea I ever had couldn't have ended terrible, you know, but it would have been... Who knows? Annie Lorenzen recounting what brought her to San Luis Obispo and how she reinvented herself into this new world that she has been part of for going on 27 years now. Yeah. And I know people who have similar stories to mine that are even more long term in our own community. You know, that like somebody on the Stolberg line, for example, it was just I had no idea how. I have evolved, like I said earlier, into somebody that I actually like for a change. Um, And for a lot of years, I was ashamed of who I was before I came here um, early on. And I just thought I never came to much. That was it. You know, it's like, oh, student body president, then you did nothing. You know, that kind of thing. But it turned out so differently because I had these adventures and... Your show, as it is for so many of us in this county, make that kind of difference for us. Mm. Um, Mm. If I'd stayed back east or if I'd stayed in Los Angeles, I would have never been on a talk show regularly with somebody that became a friend who impacts the community. That never would have happened. You know, and this is... We are so blessed to live here. We really, really are. Have we seen changes that are troubling? Of course, but time changes things, mm. and uh, and this place to be able to live here is a gift. And we, whatever it takes for me to stay here, I'm willing to do that kind of work or or whatever. And on the other hand, I was guided here. I've been kept here. I called you. You called me here. <laughs> uh, you know, look at I mean, just the just the stories I told you, the serendipitous nature of of where I've ended up is stunning and i didn't do that i just Um, said yes i know she's a controversial figure but the best example to me is karen veely of reinventing yourself Uh, 20 years ago karen was living in bishop california making a living as a nationally ranked bridge player oh my gosh i had no idea yeah that she she's really good at bridge right and that's how she made her living oh how she was a professional bridge player Comes back, she but she never got her college degree, and she was sad about that. So right. she came back, got into Cal Poly, and what was the fastest degree? Journalism. She knew nothing about journalism. Straight A's, except um, for one B plus. You know who gave her the B plus? You? No, Adam Hill. Oh, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> My Irish dark sense of humor enjoys that. Yeah. Uh, Annie Lorenzen is with us, just uh, talking about those things that brought her to San Luis Obispo and the joy of reinventing yourself. Uh, well, reinvented. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, and being reinvented just by time, circumstance, and, you know, serendipity. We'll be back for a final segment. We're live, we're local, we're hometown. This is the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show on the Stolberg line. Joan checks in. Hey, Joan, 
It's for Annie. I'm so glad that you are here, and I'm blessed that you're in my life. And that's just absolutely reflected right back to her and to Jeff. And, you know, speaking of Jeff, he came from the East Coast, and here they are and established in our community, and they've always been a blessing in my life. Annie Lorenzen on this broadcast talking about reinventing oneself and having a second act. If you want to join us, 805-543-8830. Or 800-549-5832. Otherwise, I'm keeping Annie to myself. (laughs) Well, you know, I really, I feel really compelled to say this. You keep saying that, you know, you're, you're, I did not reinvent myself. You did. No, by a lot of grace and a lot of miracles and serendipitous things and, and human connection, I ended up being reinvented. After everything I put myself through in my younger years, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have dreamed, I couldn't have dreamed, of what I've been able to do between moving back to Maryland and then definitely coming here and resettling. It couldn't have been done without our community, without you, and literally by grace. And you know, you know, I believe in God and whoever else and however else you want to look at that. My life was directed into a safe wonderful space in which I could grow as a human and be able to do good things, not even realizing until I'd done half of them that they were extraordinarily good and I gained the most from all that goodness. So what's on your bucket list? What haven't you accomplished that you want to accomplish? Um, I, I'm, I'm so shocked that I'm going to say this on air. I had given up for a while comfortably that I did not have a college degree. However, when I move back to slow this year somehow, I'm probably going to go ahead and put that thing to rest and finish it out and uh, get my degree as an old, old lady. That's that's one. The I like other, that. I like that. The, the other one... Besides being a published author and and really having fun talking about life and living and all those things. um, The other one is just truly, truly to be present with every person that I sit in front of, including looking into your blue eyes right now kind of thing. I want to be present to what's going on. Blue, green, hazel. I got Uh, one green, one brown. Oh, okay. You're one of those. Um, You and Jane Seymour. Um, I want to be the best version of me that I'm liking to be able to do the most bringing love into people's lives in whatever that looks like for the rest of my life. I want people to be around me when I'm 90. So why not just get an online degree? That's not impo- That's not saying I won't do that, actually. It just it just depends on a do, few do you things. Really, do you really want to go into a classroom and I actually think with all those kids. I actually think I'd be a great asset. I took some classes out at Quest in the back then, and the professors in the '90s really enjoyed having me in the class, and the kids did too. Actually, I think I have something to offer in that. But if the easiest, quickest way to do it, because I'm getting older, it could still be an online degree, um, and I'm okay with that. I, you know, I wasn't always, but I am. Well, you're a student body president, so why didn't you just go to college right away? What happened? I did. I went to college for two years. Um, The first year was at Mount St. Mary's in L.A., and it's a private woman's college. I was a nursing major and a psych minor. And 
things started to follow. I was living in the dorms, but things started falling apart at, at my uh, home, at home home. And so I transferred, biggest mistake, first big mistake, transferred to, to Cal State LA to go into their nursing program. The government professor was Goldberg himself, former cabinet person. Anyway, I didn't do well. It was way big, and it was I was under a lot of stress, so I didn't finish. I finished my sophomore year, and I didn't go back. I've tried to go back over the years. Um, Cheryl checks in on the Stolberg line. Hey, Cheryl. Always great hearing Annie. I do think she has to give herself credit for making the very best of all the opportunities presented to her. I agree. Well, bless all of your hearts. I, I mean, I am so grateful to have been brought through within this community, the places I've been brought, and the and the love and respect that is reflected back to me regularly. I don't know where else that could have happened, um, but it has happened, and it's and it's helped me. Like I said, be less hard on myself. Uh. Well, of course, this texter always has to come, text in and take a dump on everything. Um, if San Luis Obispo continues to diminish in its health care to older people, are you willing to sacrifice that versus somewhere else where you may get better health care? At this point, what I have in the way of health care, I can sustain. One of them, one of that is Medicare itself, and then I have a supplement. I will do what it takes, and my children have already told me they will help do what it takes for me to be able to um, be sustained here. The other thing is, I don't know if people are catching up on it, I'm going to be 77 this month, so I'm no I'm no spring chicken. So unlike people in their 50s and 60s... Are you that old? I didn't know. <laughs> you're that old? Oh, you're such a rascal. Yes, dear. Well, I'll, unlike, speak, I'll speak louder. I'm, <laughs> I have two hearing aids. You may you may not worry about that. Um, unlike some people in their 50s and 60s, the the future here is bleak for people on very limited incomes. I agree with that. The other part of that is I have learned how to live simply and live well simply. So I'm willing to not move somewhere else because the quality of life here and my two sons being here um, that makes a big difference. And my nieces and nephews. On the Stolberg line, I feel if you reach the point in life where you can teach a college course, there's no need for a college degree. You know, I I was going to teach a college course up at Cal Poly, uh, and in 2018, October of 2018, even though it had been advertised, the course I was going to teach for for um, especially people in the School of Education. Um, it was advertised, and it came right down to the wire, and nobody had hit anything. I was being promoted by another professor, et cetera, et cetera, and the class had to be pulled because I did not have a teaching degree. I did not have a college degree or a teaching degree. I could guest, I perhaps can guest lecture. Um, that's a possibility. Not a great one, but it could happen. Um, so I have, that's a really great call. What do you want to study? What would your degree be in? Um, philosophy and, uh, philosophy and, and creative writing. That's what I would do. It's ended up being a great love of my life. Philosophy's colored everything. Phil checks in on the Stolberg line. Hi, Phil. Uh, Annie would be a great asset to a college in-person classroom and everyone would benefit. 
she should consider a classroom setting. You know, thank you, Phil. I, I That's where I'm leaning simply because it's where I, I had college interrupt us all those years ago, and there's so much now that I know personally that I can bring to a class. That's not arrogance, and I'm not bragging. I just know that the lens through which I view life, I I do believe it's an honorable and a good one, and it's also full of humor, and that's well-received, too. So I just... When was the last time you were in a classroom? I had quite in the, uh, it would have been in the 90s. You mean for myself personally, it would have been in the no, 90s. No, teaching, no, teaching. Oh, teaching? 2017. Okay. 2017. I bet even in that time, though, it's changed. Just the whole, the student-teacher interaction. Because of COVID. Oh, yeah, just, after that. I think it's a different world. Yeah, it was hard on, on my, um, you know, my confederates, my my friends, my colleagues up at, at Cuesta, for example, private school, to navigate all that through through uh, online and not online and all that. But they did very successfully. But also, yes, you're right. With COVID and all the things afterwards, Black Lives Matter and all these other movements afoot, there's a lot of change within the classroom with the with the people, the young people that come in. But middle school is still my favorite favorite group of kiddos. They're still they're still curious. I could not walk back into a college classroom today. Oh, I couldn't. I, I could couldn't. not walk into a college classroom as a teacher. I would. I could not. I, I wouldn't know what to do, how to do it. It's changed so dramatically. Well, and even high school, public high school, what what teachers are asked to be accountable for, um, and and the records they have to keep for the various things that have gone way beyond what you would ever expect having to do in a school. Um, it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, Greg on the Stahlberg line. Hey, Greg. Um, I first went to Cal Poly in 1976. The guy sitting next to me was 80. We <laughs> studied together. Aww. He was an asset to the class, as Annie will be. Oh, you know what? Thank you so much, everybody. I honestly believe that I have that to look forward to. Dave asked about the bucket list, and I'm... I had given it up for a while because I didn't end up needing it per se for what I was asked to do. And the benefit to me and the students was incredible, our our exchange of in a relationship in a classroom. So, yeah, I think moving back to slow is going to make it possible for me to do that. Annie Lorenzen, thank you for coming by and visiting with us today. Well, you know what, Dave? Thank you for inviting me, and thank you for... Ha- well, I invited myself this time, I forgot. Right. Thank That's you fine. for everything you do for us and our local folk. You're very kind. Off we go. News, traffic, weather. Up next, the mayor is in the house. Stay with us. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kbec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.